Welcome to the ministry of Mercy Seat Ministries and evangelist Pat and Karen Jackson. We believe that the message you are about to hear will mightily change your life. Open your heart, mind, and spirit and allow the Holy Spirit to move in you. We must declare it to the next generation. Hey, let's look at something here. We want to uh, just look at one passage, Ruth chapter 1. And I think these two verses, you've heard them a million times at, at a wedding. But, and this is really the exchange between Ruth and Naomi. But I, I want you to get this in your heart here. What Phyllis and I want to talk about, you know, you're hearing some, uh, I don't know about ours, mine, but, but you've heard some great messages. You've heard some great revelation, some impartation. But, uh, guys, I want to talk to you. Phyllis and I want to do this together because I want to make this statement. If you do not get your marriage right in your ministry, everything else you've heard is going to become lost in your life everything if you don't get your marriage right the other attributes of ministry you know i can't tell you how important fathering is but i'm going to tell you if you don't get it right with your wife you're not going to get it right with your spiritual father okay if you don't get it right with your husband these other principles are going to be lost on you because sooner or later your marriage if there's no foundation in marriage it will erode everything else in your life on the other side let me tell you this, while you're looking for a spiritual father, while you're searching for a spiritual mother, while the other pieces are missing in your life, let me tell you something. If you have a marriage that's blessed and connected and, and, and you guys are flowing the way God intended it to be, you're going to be just fine. Did you hear what I just said? I want to say that again. You're going to be just fine. Those other things will come and you're, you're, you're going to be fine. Uh, and, and, and that's going to work. Phyllis and I have talked about it. We've had the privilege of uh, I was a church planter before these guys were planting churches very much you know we, we planted the church we pastor today 31 years ago it's the only church I've ever pastored we planted it and we stayed there 31 years so when we went to this church uh, plant we had I could tell you all the funny stories but we won't take time but you know it w this this church plant we began with about 20 people and a rented storefront building between the state unemployment office and a country western nightclub i mean who chose that god have mercy but that that when we agreed and we came back pastor we've got this place to start and then that's where it was it's little so it's shortly after that somebody gave me a book that's you know church growth and it and the first chapter this was to encourage me you know we're in a we're in a night we're in a little rented place between a nightclub and the state unemployment office by the way it's pretty tough on Monday morning to drive to my office and the first thing I see when there was 10 people at church the night before was the state unemployment office I mean that's like grinding it in your face you know that's what I looked at every Monday morning but um, you know while we were there somebody gave me a book and the first chapter was the most important ingredient in church growth is your location and your facility well what the heck you know I felt like quitting right there I mean if that's what you got to do you know we didn't have any of that did we and and uh, unusual place but here's the thing and I want to tell you this and I mean this we talked about it again this week with our church where we are today and the things that God has done and blessed and, and the growth of the church and the the ministries and the things that happen I, I want to tell you something we talked about it. I want to ask Phyllis again this week I was as happy then and fulfilled with 20 people I was as happy and fulfilled then as I am today my joy, my happiness, my fulfillment, my sense of identity 
is not any greater today than it was 31 years ago with 20 people in a storefront building. I, I want you to understand that. I, I was happy then. I was honored that God had called us to start a church. I was excited that we were on this journey together. And, and, and I can tell you that. And somewhere in the process, that's really important to find that. We, we decided that early on in that little church where we went and rented a house and had sheets for curtains and, and we used about three rooms in the house because there's no use in using other rooms because there was no furniture in them and, and there were no, you know, I, why heat that when I'm not going in there? So, you know, that kind of thing. But you know what I said, honey, if our joy comes from ministry, from people, from, from pouring into people's lives and, and we love each other, we're going to be fine. And I can tell you that you're going to be fine. If you're going to plant the church, you better have a good marriage. Okay? You better have a good marriage. You better be able to enjoy each other and have a sense of fulfillment in that. And, and those other things will come. But you can, you can be fulfilled and blessed where you are. So let's look at this. Ruth 1. Uh, but Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. And your God, my God, where you die, I will die. There I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. That's, that's our lives. That's our life. That's your life. That's how this thing operates. Your marriage is going to be the foundation. You're going to have some great sessions today where you break up the guys and the ladies separately. And, but I thought it would be good for you and I, for Phyllis and I, just to talk with you together today because this is so critical um, what we're looking at here is covenant relationships and uh, I want to hit a couple of uh, three or four things here and let Phyllis and I just kind of back and forth talk about how we with God's grace have worked through this um, you know you guys have all heard the teachings on covenant on the blood covenant and the steps of covenant I want to use uh, just a few of those and talk about your covenant relationship in your marriage the first thing they would do and I thought this is interesting. You think about your marriage working. You think about covenant relationship. These obviously are pictures between our relationship with Christ. But the first thing they did in the covenant exchange is that they exchanged their outer cloak, their garment. If you think about Joseph's coat of many colors, in that day, in that culture, your cloak represented your identity, who you are. You, you were identified very quickly by your outer garment. It wasn't just something you went down and you know, bought, it, it, it was uh, representative of your place in life. And so when I think about a relationship, Phyllis, uh, that's your identity. Now let me help you with this. The younger you are in your marriage, sometimes people really struggle with this today. I'm concerned with marriage today because so many people are coming out of dysfunctional families. And so many that Phyllis and I talk with and work with doesn't matter if you're called into ministry. You were called into ministry, but you still may have had a pretty tough family that you grew up in. So you didn't get the opportunity to see a healthy marriage. You never got a chance to see a covenant relationship. And so you love God and you're called into ministry, but you don't have a point of reference. And so you're struggling, trying to find who you are. You're a younger adult. You're, you're still trying to develop your own personal identity. And now you're being asked to, to form an a, a identity in a marriage. And so here's, here's what I want to say about this. And, 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 and I want to tell you, this is not because I have to. If Phyllis was in the other room, guys, I'd tell you all these other things. But let, let me explain how this works and how Phyllis has been such an incredible uh, 
impact in my life and, and a partner as we do ministry. But an identity, let me say this to you, exchange the cloak. You're, you're in a covenant relationship. That represents your identity. What do you do? In a marriage, you come together as one. Listen, you're not losing your identity. Listen to this. You're giving your identity to your spouse, and they're protecting it. They're nurturing it. If as a result of Phyllis and I walking together, I haven't made her a better person, I have failed in my responsibility as her husband. So what happens in marriage is not I'm fighting for my identity. Are you with me on this? I gave my identity to her. She gave her identity to me. And in this covenant relationship, I covenanted with her to protect her identity, not kill it, not squash it, but to protect it. You understand? I remember when Phyllis and I were engaged and I uh, had the one little counseling session I ever got at that point in time. And uh, it's about like my dad's talk about sex, you know, where you know, I was already way too old for him to have talked to me that. And, 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 uh, and we, we had a, I, I begged and whined and finally my dad bought me a horse. And uh, we kind of lived on the edge of a little community. And, and uh, so, you know, it's a mare. And, and one day uh, I said to my dad, man, I wish, I wish Star would have a coat. And, well, and the reason I said that is because she had, uh, uh, some guy had, my older sister's boyfriend, he was a knucklehead, and uh, all of her boyfriends are knuckleheads, and, and uh, he left the gate open, my horse got out and ran away, we had to find her and brought her back, and, she, and so I said to Dad, man, I, what, I wish Star could have a colt, and he says, well, uh, <clears throat> uh, well, you know, <clears throat> and my dad is fantastic, my dad's a great man, but he's like, he's like, well, uh, <clears throat> you know, son, well, uh, there has to be another horse, and I said, Dad, she was with those horses for a week, and I thought maybe, you know, oh, well, okay, anything else you need to know? I said, no, Dad, I got it. You know, we're good. That was our birds and bees talk with my dad, you know. <laughs> so I was like, thanks, Dad. And uh, I got this, Dad. We're okay, you know. <laughs> so uh, that was how that worked. But uh, you guys, you, you guys, are, how many had that kind of birds and bees talk? Or did you ever, was it, if you got one at all? How many got a real good one? Let me see your hand. Do your parent really give you a good one? Raise your hand up high. How many got a really good? That's what I'm saying. Look at this. You, nobody does that right. I kind of wimped out too. We had two daughters. And once I started, I said, well, like your mother will tell you everything you want to know. And I just ran like a chicken. I mean, I wouldn't go tell that little girl. I was like, Phyllis will handle all of the bird and bee talk at our house because it's girls. That was my wimpy way to get out of it. Mom will tell you. Ask your mom. So identity. Let's come back to this. Here, here's what they asked me uh, in my one little marriage counseling thing. They said, I want you to come back next week, and I want you to give me five reasons. I want you to think about this in your marriage today. I couldn't answer this because we don't understand marriage well. They said, George, give me five reasons why Phyllis will be better. Her life will be better. She will have a better life. I want five reasons why she'll be better off if she marries you. I was like, uh, well, you know, there's like, kind of this and because think about what most young people tell me when they get when I'm doing pre-marriage counseling so why do you guys want to get married oh man she just makes me feel so good when I'm with him I'm just happy you know it's all about me think about all your reasons think about that why do you want to get married well because you know I'm this marriage is never the solution for a problem if you think marriage is going to solve a problem you miss the whole issue so people come well why do you want to get married 
because I'm tired of living at home. Well, get a job and get an apartment. Don't get married. That's dumb. Oh, well, why do you want to get married? Because, you know, because, you know, it's better to marry than burn. Well, get control of yourself. Go to the altar and pray. Quit acting like that. That's not why you get married. What in the world? We didn't see, you understand from the beginning, it's about me. I want to marry because they make me feel good. I want to get married because, you know, da-da-da-da. No, give me five reasons why you're going to make their life better. Then you can think about getting married. And if you can't answer that question right now, you need to do that. Why is your husband or wife better? Because of this marriage. It's not about you. It's about them. Why are they better off? Not me. Why is she better off being with me? So what happens is this identity thing, that's the first step in marriage, is that you didn't lose it, you gave it, and now it's my responsibility to protect her identity. Am I helping her flourish? Are her gifts developing? Is she, is she growing? Is she more confident? Is she more secure? Is, is, is that happening? That's, that's protecting identity. So they merge together and they synergize. I'm going to hurry up and not talk this much. You want to make a bet? No, I don't. <laughs> but what happens, the idea is you get this one combined identity as a couple. You get me? And it's better. This is what's happened for us. Ladies, everybody's different. You know, there, there was a time in ministry, the pastor's wife, at a minimum, she had to play the piano, right, and sing and make banana pudding. That was like the, that was the minimum for you go into that, which is ridiculous. But this is what Phyllis does in our relationship in ministry based off our marriage. She listens to me. She listens to my dreams. She listens to my ideas, which is a tough job because I'm a big dreamer, thinker, visionary, crazy person. She listens. You know what she has done through our whole ministry? Taken my best ideas and made them happen. That's what she's done. She's taken my dreams never that never overshadowed her she took her identity which she has all these gifts i don't have and she's taken my dreams and made them happen you know we went to and a lot of people tell you today so you got to know yourself i read all the books now whatever you do never do productions well in our church we win several thousand people every year to christ through our productions so i'm not afraid of that i don't apologize for that i'm not embarrassed about that i'm not ashamed of that i'm going to do those because they work for us they work for us because of my wife because of the synergy of our identities does that make sense they work for us so she's taken these things and made them this unbelievable force for God she's the face of our church she puts the productions out there these other things we do and so Phyllis talk about that a little bit how you know you just you know how you feel we play off together well, in that regard. Let's go back to his point of merging your identity. It's in our society today. Everyone wants their place. It's my right. That's my position. Everybody's working, working, working. And what I made a commitment to do in my heart. Not, I didn't have to verbally say this, but my understanding was that I was made for him to be a helpmate. Number one, old school, old fashioned, but you know what it is? It's the word of God, and I do not apologize for the word of God. I clothe myself with that word. I go into a prayer closet with God, and I found out who I am. I'm a nurturer. I'm the heart. 
of our church. I'm the face of Calvary. I'm the fun side. Now, he's really probably more fun than me when he has a chance to be more fun. But I invited Pat and Karen to our home where they could beat us in foosball. See, I said an atmosphere. I don't remember the losing. I was. I said an atmosphere for someone to come in and to have a party. Do you understand that? My identity was to never be Pastor Phyllis. My identity was never to be a pastor. My identity was not to be on the church staff. That wasn't me. My role in this was to serve Him, as I served the Lord, and to do whatever I put my hand to, at the best and the greatest ability that I could do it. When I knew that I was overwhelmed and that I was way over my head, our productions will have in the cast around 800 people from the parking lot through. How do you organize a group of 800 volunteers? You better pray, pray, pray. So my help comes from the Lord, and as I do that thing, and then you know what we are? We are elaborate stage. We make a platform for our pastor to be able to walk up and to give everyone a personal opportunity to accept and to know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. The greatest thing in my life is to win another person to Christ. If you say, what's your heartbeat? It's for me to tell someone my story, and that's to tell them about Jesus Christ and what he's done in my life. You know, it's not all this. It's not this. This is a burden. Your pastor in this house would even tell you this. This is hard. How do you go from a storefront to a church of 2,000 where, you're, where you have, you're, you're secure and then you go by 182 acres to relocate the whole thing and you've been there for 29 years? That is not fun. But it is an adventure following after the will and the heart of God. And as you do that, we've heard it said, you grow, you mature, you find out who you are and what you're made of. If you're a person of faith, it's easy to say it when everything's just kind of, it's like it's, you're walking up the steps. That's easy, one step at a time. But when he takes you over a mountain and just says, jump, let's go for it, that's a little more difficult. So what you have to do is find your personality, find your identity through your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's what you've always done. And, you know, for instance, like this, when, when Phyllis, when we were in our storefront building, got ready to move into our first building, you know, well, at that point in time, we really were wanted to do, we, we started off, and it was funny, we did praise and worship from the beginning. We didn't do the hymn thing, and nobody knew, kind of knew how to do that, so we put this little thing and made it happen, but we built our worship from there. Now, Phyllis wanted to put a choir together as we moved into the new, to our first sanctuary. We talked about the need for that, so she said, okay, I'll take that, and I'll make it happen. So that begins to flourish. The other things begin to flourish that she's helping me do, which she's doing what I couldn't do because of the, the gifts she has, the gifts I, that I'm missing and lacking. We blend them together. But I remember our, our deacon board wanted to begin to hire her on the staff. They said, well, you know, she's too valuable. Let's hire her. But Phyllis was always working her priorities. It was like, you know, no, I'm not going to take, and, and believe me, the money would have been nice. Uh, you know, we were starting, just getting this thing up and going. But they would have hired her full time. She wouldn't take that because she was not going to be at church during the summer months when our girls were out of school. She was not going to be there uh, after school and somebody else had to go pick them up. So she, re she at times would not accept promotion. So we're always fighting for promotion. She turned promotion down 
to, to work with what in her heart she thought was her priorities in her life, what was important. And so I've watched her all of her life. Instead of grasping for things, she, kept, she keeps giving things away. Instead of fighting for something, she keeps giving it away, serving it away, and God keeps put, bringing it back to her. Does that make sense? And so it's not this thing of fighting for my place, you know, scrambling for my identity. As a married couple, hopefully we're giving that to each other and working as a team. So these two identities have merged into this one new identity. And we're adding, I was counseling with a husband and wife one day, uh, and I don't do as much counseling anymore, this is probably why. Uh, and I got frustrated with them. They're just, he kept wanting her to be like a man. She kept wanting him to think like a woman. Finally, I said, you know what, you guys, it would be great if you would use, if you would get together and quit just being left side, right side, if you'd get together and use your whole brain, this marriage might work someday. <laughs> and they just kind of stared at me. So they, I, we have other people that are better counselors than me. You know, I don't, I just like, come on, I've had enough of that. So, but the thing with Phyllis and I is that we've been able to blend who we are together to make one better. Does that make sense? You didn't lose yourself. It added and it made it better. And I've watched now her do that time and again. One, let me add another footnote to this. As you're exchanging identities and you find out what your greatest gifts are, what your calling is, the Lord will develop those things in your life, in your relationship, and then you have to respect each other mm -hmm. when you share those ideas. When he comes home from a board meeting and says, guess what? The board wants to hire you full-time. And I went, oh, I don't want that. Do you know that my husband knew my identity in my heart? First was to serve the Lord, serve him, serve our children, and then everything else underneath that ministry comes last. It comes last. And it, when it, he said that, and I said, I don't want to do that. He didn't say, what's wrong with you? We need extra money. He knew my identity and what my priorities were, and he honored me and respected me and my opinion. He trusted me, and he understood and said, whenever it's time, it'll happen, and that was the end of it. I don't even remember conversation much after that. That was, that was about it, because yeah. I knew you. I knew that's what you wanted to do. Now, let's, let's look at this. So you see the identity thing. I think that's important. I want to stay on track. You know, the next thing they did, they exchanged belts. And in that covenant, the, the belt, because these guys wore these long cloaks, the belt is where your weapons were held in place. So when you exchange belts, you said, you know what? Here's my weapons, and here's what you said. You're never going to fight alone again. You're never going to fight alone. Every battle you ever fight, I'm going to fight your battle with you. And so what Phyllis and I understand about each other is that we're safe with each other. We don't fight at each other. We fight for each other. She doesn't have to fight alone. She's not going to have to worry about that with me. If she's going to walk side by side with me, and let's be honest, in ministry, you know, it, it, it's a glass house. You know, a lot, a lot, a lot of people that, that don't have a clue in China. You understand what I'm talking about. And, and, and they can be unkind, they can be unfair, and they can be demanding. Then there are a lot of people that are wonderful, great, awesome, incredible. But my responsibility as a pastor of my church is not to please anybody before God and my wife. And, and everyone knows. I think you need to say that again. Okay. My responsibility and passion of that church. As, as, as I'm not there trying to please anybody before God and my wife. I'm going to take care of her first. And, and if, if, if that doesn't work with somebody, then it doesn't work with somebody at our place. Now, you'd have to go around and push your chest out and, you know, stand bang on your chest. I've always felt like every time, anytime I go someplace in your home or in your church, in your home or your pulpit, if you've got to stand up and pound your chest and say, I'm big daddy here. Everybody's got to do what I say. 
Don't touch God's anointed. I'm the man of God in this house. You, you know what? You've already lost that house. You've already lost that house. If you've got to stand up in the pulpit and, and, and beat on people and tell them I'm the man of God here, don't you touch God's anointed. You've got to do what I say. You, you, all you have is a title. You don't have respect and you don't have trust. If you don't have trust and you don't have respect, you're not the leader. I don't care what they say about you. And as soon as they get a chance, they'll get out from under your leadership. And it's the same way in a marriage. If I've got to walk in that house and say, woman, I'm the head of this house. Submit to me. I've already lost it. You're the weakest link in the chain if you've got to go there. If that's all you've got, you don't have anything. Okay? I love you. I respect you. I trust you. I honor you. You're safe with me. If she has to fight a battle and I'm not there, I have failed her as her husband. If I let some people in the church come against her and I let her hang out on her own because I don't want to ruffle and, and, and ripple the waves, I have forfeited my ability to lead my home and lead that church. And so people at our church know. They're not, they're, they're, they know. And I didn't have to ever say it. I've never said it from the pulpit one time. I've never said that. I don't even talk about things like this from the pulpit because either my life shows it or it doesn't. But they know if, 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 you know, if you're going to get to her, you're going to come through me. She's not going to be left out there. We exchange belts. We exchange identity. She, she, I love her. She's my wife. I'm in a covenant with her. And so she knows she never has to fight alone. It's just not going to be that way. And so what happens is when you're in that environment, I, this is what I want you to understand. It's not just about that. But when that's in your relationship, then you can be vulnerable with each other in private, one-on-one -on -one in private. You can be vulnerable. You can trust. See, you, you, you don't have to fight alone. She knows I'm going to pray for her. I know she's going to pray for me. I know, I know above everything else, Phyllis is praying for me. I know she's standing with me. I trust. Let, let me show you how this works. We have, you know, Phyllis developed our choir. She developed our production. She developed... Uh, it's on and on and on and on. She listens to the heart. Oh, wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be great? That's what I say, and then she goes and does it. She, she brings the guys together and says, okay, here's how we're going to do it. I'm like, oh, thanks. <laughs> That's awesome, you know. Uh, and and it, it makes these things. But this year, we've done an uh, Easter production for over 20 years. And, and the reason they've been successful is that, that they are birthed out of prayer and anointing and, and passion to see people unto Christ. It's not entertainment. It's not beat the church down the street. It's how do we reach our city? How do we, and, and, and we say it very clearly, our church knows this, our productions are elaborate bait to catch fish. Pure and simple. That's all it is. It's elaborate bait. And I tell that to everybody. I tell it to our church. I tell it to people. There's no, there's no secret. It's our heartbeat. See, it works for us because that's our DNA. So Phyllis comes to me at the first this year. We've done this thing 20 years. It, it, it's an institution in our area. And she says, George, I don't know how to tell you this, but um, I don't have a green light on the Easter production. I said, say what? You don't have what? No, what I really said was, Sonny, I have something to tell you. I always sit down when she tells me that because she I doesn't said, do that. Please it's do an not, E.F. Hutton please, moment please at our do house. Please do not react. I'm like, please okay. do not react and don't don't do what you want to do when I first tell you this. Hold on. I Go said, ahead. But I have something to tell you. I said the Lord began to deal with me in November, and I begin to say, okay, Lord, bring to clarity all the details of this master plan so I can get this army of people going. And he was silent. 
God did not say a word. I thought, oh man, this is not happening to me. And I'm just feeling like something is just choking the life out of me. And so after a month of prayerfully seeking the Lord and still silence, not a word. I said, well, you know what? I'm not stupid enough to move out and do something in my flesh because my flesh will fail. Without the anointing and the approval of the Lord, it's going gonna, it's gonna to crash every time. It, it may come off as a, oh, that was a nice night of entertainment, but who wants that? We're kingdom builders. So everything we do has to be led by the leading of the Holy Spirit at what, and what he gives you from that prayer closet with him. So finally, brave enough, I go to George and I say, honey, don't react. I have something to tell you. Well, that's what did, well, then you know what she told me. So I'm like, oh, my God. You know, and I'm thinking, what, what does that mean? And I know this. I know this about the Lord and about ministry and about life and how it works. So if we're not supposed to do that, my next thought within the next second was, then what are we supposed to do? Because we're going to reach people. You know, we're, we're, that's a pivotal season. So I said, okay, because I trust her. See, our, it's, your relationship's built off of trust and respect trust and respect so I trust her I respect her prayer life I've watched her pray and be led of God I trust I trust so I got to be honest all right I'm the pastor and God didn't tell me that he spoke to her but I know enough you know I could have said well you know why didn't why didn't God tell me no you know what I did I said okay I gotta go pray <laughs> so I start praying and as I pray I'm thinking you know, God, I wanted God to tell me, it's all right. Tell your wife, it's okay. You know, I'm, we're going to do this. And he, and he didn't tell me that. So I'm like, oh, man, here we go. So we birthed out of that. We go to our pastors, and we start, we bring them in. We begin to pray. Once Phyllis and I are on, on track, then we go, you know, we go to our leaders. We begin to pray. So long story short, we change around, and, and we'll probably do a combination this next year is what we're feeling like but we did something different during our Chris our Easter season sure we didn't do the production it was difficult I'm going to tell you people weren't happy people were you know people like the same thing and we had to explain and and we had to advertise we were not doing the production that makes any sense that's how popular it is so we, it, it's a little crazy but the bottom line is we did something we felt like was targeting our families and, and the unsaved and Easter Sunday morning we baptized 500 people in water Easter Sunday morning. It was phenomenal. It was just a great day. But it came out of a prayer closet. And it came out of a mutual respect. And had we not learned how to trust each other, pray together, you know, defend each other, uh, share our identities with each other, we would have missed that. It was one of the most phenomenal things I've ever, ever, ever been a part of. It's just great. So let me go to the next thing. I won't stay a long time on this. Just to remind you, uh, the third thing they do would exchange their assets and their liabilities in a covenant relationship. They would basically say, here's all my assets. They're yours. You know, here's all my liabilities. <laughs> and, and what happened when they did this covenant relationship and exchanged assets, they would, they would have one of their servants come and read a scroll of everything they owned. And what that meant <clears throat> was that these are no longer mine, they're ours. You don't borrow anything from someone in a covenant relationship. If you need it, just come take it. It's yours. It's your stuff. It's our stuff now. And here's what I want you to understand. No one's perfect. None of us are perfect. We all have some liabilities. How many can say amen to that? Come on. All right. You're, all right. I didn't say point. I just said say amen. That wasn't necessary. we got liabilities, don't we? We've all got some 
some liabilities, but we have some assets, and we put them together, and we just share those, and, and, and that's part of this thing. I want to go to make sure you're on track with this. I want to get this last place here. One of the things they would do is they would, you know, cut the palm of their hand or their somewhere here. Good. I'm timing. I'm tracking good. Palm of the hand or the wrist area, and they would, let me see your hand. If it was in the palm of the hand, they would cut their hand and, and grind this together till they knew the blood was exchanged and a scar was going to be left. Or if it was on the arm here, they, they would do it there like this. This is what Phyllis and I do. Every once in a while, I'll just look at her and say, give me your hand, and we just do this. We're in a covenant. We don't, we don't have to say anything. We just do this. On a really rough day, you know, you ever had a day so hard you don't want to talk about it? You ever had one of those days in the ministry? Man, you hurt so bad. If you talk, you're going to cry. You ever had one of those days? And sometimes I'll just put my arm around Phyllis and I'll hold her, and we'll just do this. We're in a covenant. End of the day, we're going to be all right. We're going to make it. We've had some of those days in our, in our marriage, not between us, thank God, hallelujah, but in our life, in our family, in our church, we've had some days where at the end of the day, I just held her, and she held me, and we said, tomorrow the sun's going to come up, and we're going to be here together with God, and that's how you make it some days. That's all I've had some days, but I knew I had that. So what happens with the scar is this, is that they made the scar. I want you to hear this, guys. And that scar, that visual reminder, we're together, is a bond made during pain. You had to cut, and you had to bleed, and it hurt. And how you bond in crisis will determine the strength of your marriage. If pain pushes you away from each other, you're in trouble. But if pain binds you together, you're growing. So you're going to have some pain in life. How do you do? How do you handle that? Do you know that the wound that kills you never leaves a scar? Dead bodies don't produce scars. A scar is a sign, you wounded me, but I lived through it. A scar is a victory sign. If a man's killed with a gunshot, if a bullet kills you and takes your life, your body dies and doesn't have the ability to produce a scar, you're done. Only living bodies produce scars. A scar is a reminder that you overcame, that you took the shot and it didn't kill you, that you took the blow and you made it through it. And see, in that covenant relationship, you, got to, you take some scars sometimes. Man, you take some shots. Life throws you some shots. But in a marriage that's in a covenant relationship, you've learned to trust each other. So you've learned to fight for each other. You've learned to exchange your assets and liabilities. And when the crisis comes, it bonds you instead of rips you apart. And here's what I want to tell you something. Crisis will come in your marriage and the ministry. And if you haven't been doing the steps before that, that pain will push you apart instead of bind you together. See, when you need a friend, it's too late to make a friend. You understand that? When you need one, it's too late to start making one. You're in a crisis. But if you're willing to love each other and you're willing to say, come here, sweetheart, if you're willing to say early on, don't urge me to leave you. I know you probably felt like that a few times. 
<laughs> Don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I'll go. I told her if she ever leaves me, it won't do any good because I'll just move and follow her. So it's, it's, you can't, she can't leave me. I'm going, you know. Uh, don't turn back. Where you go, I'll go. And where you stay, I'll stay. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. And you know what? Where you die, I'll die. And there I'm going to be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. You know, the longer I go in ministry, this is my goal. When I was young, I wanted to win the world, and I still do. When I was a little older, I realized what I need to do is win my world, and I still do. But the definition of my success is that when I die, the people that know me best and knew me most or closest to me, my wife, my family, my pastors, my friends, this is my goal. When I die, I want the people that knew me best to look at my casket and say, he was everything you thought he was and more than you could ever know. Then I'll have been a success. That's relationships at work. Any final thing? Couples, if you're here, husband and wife, just join hands. Yeah. And let us pray a prayer blessing over you today. Go ahead and lead out. Father, we're so thankful today that you're our God. Yes. And then in your divine will and plan, you brought each husband and wife that sit in this room. Yes. You brought them together. It is your will that they prosper, that they grow, that they develop separately, but also in, as a couple. We speak blessing over their marriage today, and we declare the word that says there will be no weapon formed against us that will prosper. Yes. But anything, any sin, any person that rises up against us will fall in the name and the authority of Jesus. Yes. We speak a blessing, and we draw the bloodline around each family today, each marriage, dear God. Yes. Let us be strong in the Lord, and let our marriages be strong in you, dear yes. God. We ask your hand a blessing, of protection over each one today. And, Father, as we run our race, may we run it hand in hand with you and yes. with each other. And, Father, may we finish yes, our race God. strong. Yes, God. May we finish it strong, dear God, yes. knowing that we have you and we have our husband, our wife beside us. We thank you, Father, and we bless each marriage today in the name of the Lord. Amen. Father, and I just declare today in this moment, that is a divine moment, not just a coincidental moment. There's healing in this moment right now. Lord, I declare over every marriage where the relationships have struggled to merge and mesh. Identities have, have been at odds. And, 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 and there are uh, individuals here today and couples that have struggled to just get it together. They didn't have uh, a functional home. They had a dysfunctional background and struggling to find their own identity. Lord, we declare today that they are healed from the wounds of the past that they are delivered and released from what they've seen and who they have been. And today we declare fresh air. We declare a new anointing. Phyllis and I stand here today and we prophesy to the wind to blow across the valley of dry bones. Lord, where there's been an inability and they've been scattered and the bones are dry and, and all over the place. Today, in Jesus' name, we declare that bone is going to bone, that sinew is going to sinew, and there is a new person that is being birthed today. They are healed, they are blessed, they're delivered, they're set free. There's a trust and a respect that is being released in them, God. The wind of life is blowing in their nostrils. This one new creation they became.
is standing up today and reaching its potential. We declare that in Jesus' name. Amen. Now let's finish this. There's an executive person that we hired to come in and tell us how to do systems in our church and everything. So let's close the loop. That's what she taught us was to close the loop. I want you guys just to turn to each other right now. I want you to express five points of why the, that person, you make that person a better person. Okay, five each. Okay, you can do it if you're married. Pledge to him. So I'm going to make yeah. your life better because I'm going to. <laughs> and we're going to only put the microphone in Pastor Pat and Karen's face. No. <laughs> and you know what? Pastor said this. My husband said this. Pastor Pat and Karen have brought phenomenal men and women in here to speak into your lives. For George and I, we're just made of clay just like you are. There's no big secrets except we've decided that our marriage would be strong, that we would be faithful to each other and to each other only. We don't look at other people. We don't talk about other people. We don't make comments about other people. We don't go, ooh, look at that guy. He looks so fine. You've opened up a door through your mouth, through your words, for the enemy to get in your brain and to have chaos, make chaos in your head. So watch the power of your words. Protect yourself. But make a commitment to each other today. Follow through. So right now, this is God's timetable. I want you to just turn to each other and just say, and if your spouse isn't here but you're married, why don't you write down those points of that commitment that you've made to each other and just love on each other a little while. Thank you for listening. We pray that this word would sit in your spirit and transform you. For more information or to become a covenant partner with Mercy Seat Ministries and Evangelist Pat Karen Chatsline, you can log on to www.mercyseatministries.com.